Good morning. My name is Dennis, and I'm a conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Roblox Second Third 2022 Earnings Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during that time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press star one again. I would now like to turn the conference over to Stephanie Notani, Director of Financial Communications. Please go ahead. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining our Q&A session to discuss Roblox's Q2 2022 results. With me today is Roblox CEO Dave Bazuki and CFO Mike Guthrie. Before we start, I want to remind everyone that yesterday after market close, we published a shareholder letter and earnings results on our investor relations website at ir.roblox.com. On this call, we will make some brief opening remarks and reserve the rest of the time for your questions. For our webcast participants, please note the question icon at the bottom of your screen where you can type in your questions. We'll do our best to take as many questions as possible in the time we have allotted today. On today's call, we may be making forward-looking statements, including but not limited to our expectations of our business, future financial results, and business and financial strategy. Forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those described in our forward-looking statements, and such risks are described in our risk factors included in our SEC filings, including our Form 10-K filed for our first quarter ended March 31, 2022. You should not rely on our forward-looking statements as predictions of future events. We disclaim any obligation to update any forward-looking statements except as required by law. During this call, we will also discuss certain non-GAAP financial measures, reconciliations between GAAP and non-GAAP metrics for our reported results can be found in our press release issued yesterday, as well as in our supplemental slides, copies of which can be found on our investor relations website. This call is being webcast, and it will be archived on our website shortly afterwards. With that, I'll turn it over to Dave. Thank you, and welcome to our investors, and welcome Roblox community. I'll share a few quick highlights, and then we'll take questions. We had a solid Q2, and then we followed this up with July, which was absolutely the biggest engagement month in Roblox history, including all peak COVID times. And the month of July was a peak across regions and across demographics. I want to share a few highlights. In July, our DAUs were 58.5 million, about 26% year on year. And our hours of engagement were 4.7 billion hours across the whole platform, up 25% year-on-year. I want to highlight that this year-on-year -year growth and this peak engagement also included our core U.S. Canada market, with DAUs up 15% year-on-year and hours up 23%, and bookings up 14% year-on-year in July. We continue to see accelerating growth in our over 13 DAUs, which were up 36% year-on-year globally. And as greater than 13 users on the platform become more prevalent, this is a good harbinger of the potential size of this market and why we continue to be so optimistic. And then finally, we exited June bookings 
up to 8% year-on-year, and July bookings up roughly 8 to 10% year-on-year. This is powered by amazing content and our amazing community and continued innovation on the technology side. On the content side, we are approaching 50% of our top 1,000 experiences with more over 13 than under 13 players. And our developer community, um, with our developers producing experience that gained over a million hours per month, is up 32% year on year. We, can see, we continue to see great brand experiences, side by side the amazing Roblox experiences that have traditionally been on our platform. And more and more of these are self-serve. I'll highlight some of the brands we, uh, we shared with this last quarter, including Gucci Town, which had over 30 million visits since March. We saw Tommy Play from Tommy Hilfinger with over 7 million visits since June. Wimbledon released Wimble World. And Spotify Island uh, was released, which is a persistent space with artist uh, appearances. Uh, I want to highlight that we are getting to the point where our 17 through 24 cohort is going to pass our 9 through 12 cohort in size. Now, the 17 through 24 cohort is larger, but once again, this is a great signal of the potential size of our market across all ages. This growth, in addition to being powered by our amazing content developers and our amazing viral community, is supported by our innovative tech, some of which is iterative and measurable, including improvements to our Roblox translation system, including the quality and personalization of our search and discovery system, and even including uh, things that are, might not be readily noticeable, such as the speed that our mobile app and game joins occur in, just raw performance. On the vision side, our layered clothing system is just a first step to very highly personalized avatars across the platform. Our voice system is rolling out and is a great sign of uh, really the future of how people will communicate on platforms like Roblox. And our physically based material system has been widely acclaimed by our developers as the next step in taking Roblox to a more realistic look and feel. Finally, I want to highlight that we continue to work on innovative, immersive, native monetization systems, and we do expect to be rolling out a test of our immersive advertising system sometime later this year. You'll notice in our announcement, we are making investments in infrastructure. We are building a worldwide cost, performance, and reliability leading infrastructure, um, including active, active um, performance around the world. And I, and I want to highlight that infrastructure performance <laughs> contributes to our growth with an example of the recent data center we um, deployed in India. Finally, we continue to hire at the same rate we did in H1 and are, are optimistic about continuing to bring great talent into the company. With that, we will move on to your questions. Thank you. Thank you. And as a reminder, in order to ask a question, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. 
And we'll first go to Drew Crum from Stiefel. Please go ahead. Okay, thanks. Hey, guys, good morning. Um, so, Dave, in your shareholder letter and your preamble, you noted your fastest growth demographic in the U.S. and Canada was that 17- to 24-year-old segment. Can you remind us how this cohort monetizes relative to others on the Roblox platform? And then I have a follow-up. Hey, Drew, it's Mike. Just getting into the numbers, in the last, uh, in the month of July, that 17- to 24-year-old cohort in the U.S., and we measure this on a bookings per hour basis, was actually uh, just slightly ahead of our uh, core 9 to 12 demographic, which historically has been our peak monetizing uh, age demo. Now, we've expected that. Over time, we, we always said that as the older users who have more direct control over their spend become uh, more prominent on the market, they would monetize better, and we, uh, we certainly saw that in July. Got it. Thanks, Mike. And, and then, Dave, maybe... Uh... You know, more broad question, um, you know, during this current earnings cycle, several video game publishers have cited weaker trends across mobile gaming, um, you know, with Roblox being a free-to-play model. What are your thoughts on how the business should perform during a period of economic weakness? Thanks. Yeah, I want to highlight one of the wonderful things about Roblox is we're not a game and we're not really even a game platform. We're a future human co-experience platform. And a lot of what people do on Roblox is come together to be together, to connect, to socialize. We're starting to see people uh, supporting educational experiences. We, we have traditionally been neutral, i.e. immune to these types of economic cycles. We have a robust economy. The, um, we've been through these cycles before, and we've been relatively immune to them. We'll move next to David Karnofsky at J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Oh, hi. Thanks for the question. Dave, wonder if you could... Um just discuss the ongoing rollout of voice chat, how developers and players are responding to it, and how that might be impacting frequency for some of the older cohorts. And then just as a follow-up, you, you mentioned a, a test of immersive advertising um, later this year. Just wondering if you could expand on the scope of that and what that potentially implies for rollout or when you might be able to update investors on, on kind of a longer opportunity there. Yeah, I, I want to highlight consistent with our, our values and the way we've run Roblox since the early days. Um, safety and civility is a high priority here. We are rolling voice out. It is partially rolled out now with older players with validated IDs and we've, uh, you know, we're opening that aperture. We, we can measure increased engagement from the people using voice. And so we're very optimistic about what's happening there. Uh, the vision of immersive advertising has been around for a long time, and this is both um, performance as well as brand advertising. We are going to be rolling out tests um, uh, ultimately along both of these lines, and it, it's the notion that um, in an immersive 3D space, it's a lot less, um, there's a lot less friction when we see um, appropriate advertising, just like we would in the real world, uh, a billboard ad, for example, which we can scale across all the experiences on Roblox. But we're, we're also optimistic of, now that we see many brands establishing a presence in Roblox, 
that some of these brands will also want performance uh, marketing, which is a way for, um, in the appropriate case, for people to be able to go to one of our brand partners directly from someone else's 3D experience. So uh, we're really optimistic about this, and, and we love the idea of, in a gentle way, complementing our already very healthy economy with an additional uh, potential revenue source. Thank you. We'll move next to Clark Lampin with BTIG. Please go ahead. Thanks a lot. Good morning. Um, I wanted to come back to, you know, the sort of success that you're seeing with 17-plus users um, just because we are seeing, you know, a lot of signs of success with aging out both in terms of aggregate BAUs and engagement. Could you give us more of a sense for how those users are engaging differently versus younger ones? Are they spending time in different experiences, or are they monetizing more passively or using different hardware? Any color you could provide would be appreciated. And then, Mike, um, just given you guys made some comments around, you know, sort of CapEx trends over the balance of the year, could you give us a sense for infrastructure investment projects? Is this really a 22 endeavor or is this something that we can see sort of stretching into 23 and beyond? Anything you can say about cash flow and, and CapEx would be appreciated. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'll start off on the experiences. I noted that of the top 1,000 experiences on our platform, 481 now have more 13 and up players than under 13 players. Our developer community is amazingly responsive. The quality of the content that they're creating is getting better and better, both based on their sophistication, the size of their teams, as well as our tool set and our infrastructure. And we can see more and more experiences in those top thousand that are very heavily targeted to older players. So like any healthy market, Given the size of our developer economy, we are seeing developers respond with those experiences. And in addition, we have a, a pipeline of experiences that are, that are very aligned with the types of things older players might want to do coming through our game fund. I, I want to highlight that across our platform, the vision for a platform like this goes way beyond playing games. We we know right now, for example, in the midst of COVID, people use Roblox as a communication tool to be together when they can't be together physically. We can see um, partners like First Robotics now getting ready to launch educational experiences for people who can't build Roblox with the physical kids. And we ultimately, you know, all of our brand partners, including our music partners, are using Roblox as a way for people to um, go to concerts together. So, I, so the, the vision of this category is bigger than play, and as you correctly note, there's a lot of different use patterns we see across the platform. And Clark, um, CapEx will be spread across the balance of this year and next year, so we'll certainly be investing in infrastructure across um, both periods, timing of spend, um, you know, we give a rough estimate of what it looked like for the back half of the year, but we'll definitely have incremental spend in 2023. Um, but we view it as um, incredibly productive and it's partially driven by just a, you know, substantial growth in our user base and the desire to get to more, even more economical infrastructure. So more performance, more reliable, and uh, more efficient for us. Thank you. 
We'll move next to Matthew Cost at Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Great, thanks for taking the question. Uh, so one for Dave, one for Mike. Dave, just uh, there's some language in the letter about key investments and, and product initiatives that drove a positive impact for July. You, you touched on in the prepared remarks, but I wonder if you could just give any more detail about what specific products you, know, you think were the most impactful for July. And then for Mike, uh, just wondering how should we think about the pathway for margins from here um, as you continue to, to invest in, in new hires and infrastructure? Thank you. Yeah, you know, our growth is powered by the, the content created by our community, by the core virality of our product, which is great content coupled with a viral loop, and then with innovative technology. All of the, the things I measured are early signals. Our layered clothing system is an early signal towards hyper-personalized avatars that more and more might look like you, might be of various styles that are supported by our creator community. So this is a, a first step. And on voice, once again, would highlight long-term we see more and more people potentially using voice as, as we roll this out. The, um, the, there are also under the covers coupled with the visionary tech we're working on, constant iterative improvements on raw performance. How quickly can you join a Roblox experience? Um, so we, we can see our translate system, we can see search and discovery, we can see raw mobile app performance, we can see our game engine performance all contributing to growth as we go forward. And up and down our product stack, there, there continues to be big things we're working on. We'll share some of these at Investor Day, um, but we have a lot of other you know, visionary things in the pipeline. We, we've said publicly that this doesn't really stop until we're supporting a 50,000 person concert at photorealism in real time with simulated audio and video. So there's a, there's a huge runway for technical innovation in this space. And then, uh, Matthew, you asked a question about margins. So let me address that, and then I want to make another comment um, here. Um, you know, during sort of peak periods, well, let's go back. Prior to um, the scaling that we saw during COVID, the business tended to run in <clears throat> EBITDA margins in the mid-teens pretty consistently. and. Um, uh, as we scaled up during um, during COVID, those those margins basically doubled, and we found ourselves in the 30% range. And we were really clear at the time that that was not steady-state margins for us, and we saw an enormous amount of opportunity to invest. But the top line was growing so quickly that you know it's very difficult to almost bring the margins down. What we've chosen to invest in are the things that we see incredibly high ROI, hiring great people pushing more of the economics to our developer community, which is clearly bearing fruit today and will continue to do so, and, and the investment in infrastructure. Today, as we've been incredibly consistent in our investments, and, and the top line has, um, has flattened as we, you know, as, as we're coming out of COVID and now has started to pick up again, obviously margins are going to move around. What's consistent is that we're investing for the long run and that we have the unique economics and liquidity to continue to do that. I suspect that um, when we get into 2023 and we're no longer, you know, dealing, hopefully no longer dealing with COVID comparisons or non-COVID comparisons, we'll start to see the top line grow <clears throat> at a rate that will allow us to produce, you know, really healthy EBITDA margins. We will, however, continue to invest um, in infrastructure next year. So 
free cash flow margins will be down, but overall operating margins, I think, will go back up and will be in a healthy place. But we'll continue to invest for the future. Um, I do want to make one quick comment. Uh, you had a, in your note this morning, you said that you expect elevated SBC will continue to drive scrutiny on the risk of dilution from new higher retention stock grants. I just, maybe we'll just remove any scrutiny. We've been really clear. We were in the letter. Um, we, we've been tracking this as a management team, as, an, as, an oper as operating executives, and we spent an enormous amount of time structuring our compensation plans and our recruiting plans. We've worked with our board. Um, we saw this coming, and we've been really clear that we would keep uh, share dilution uh, under 5%. Um, you know, the good news here is you've got shareholders on this side of the table, and so we are as dilution sensitive as any shareholder who is out there on the call. So we're going to continue to recruit great talent. We're going to continue to uh, compensate our people, and we're also going to watch the dilution and keep it under 5% and hopefully you know, do even a little bit better than that. So I don't think there should be any um, undue speculation or concern there. We'll move next to Omar Dasuki with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Uh, hi, guys. Okay, so um, can you please give me an update uh, on the level of adoption uh, of layered clothing uh, among your players, number one? And number two, uh, back in March, uh, shortly after its launch, you had showed that the purchases of layered clothing items did not cannibalize purchases of existing uh, 2D and 3D clothing items, and that was at the GDC. Uh, I wanted to ask you whether that is still the case. Uh, and number three, do you have a sense yet for when uh, 3D layered clothing uh, will be coming to the, the community at large, the creation of uh, 3D layered clothing will be coming to the community at large? And I have a follow-up question after that. Yeah, I'll go highlightable, and then I'll see if Mike has, has the numbers floating around on that. Um, taking a step back and, and peeking at the vision of where this is going is ultimately every avatar, every head, every piece of clothing on our platform is created by the community. Historically, almost all of this was created by Roblox, and we're, we're just about through that transition where everything is made by the community. The final one that you're going to see rolling out is avatars themselves being created by our community as well, and that will bring us full circle, and you'll see a, an amazing new look. So in, we are very optimistic that this is not viewed as a, a necessary a cannibalization situation as much as where is the future here. And the future is everyone has a hyper-realistic avatar. It looks just like them. You can imagine all the ways we might build an avatar, including uh, using a camera on a device, using ML, using uh, developers themselves. So there's a lot of interesting and exciting ways in the future we'll build avatars coupled with uh, a lot of clothing that is more and more created by our community. So this is the right direction. It is the big vision. Ultimately, all of the clothing on our platform will be 3D clothing, and there will still be an opportunity for users to create clothing, but it will be painting on 3D clothing rather than long-term using our traditional 2D clothing. Um, I don't know, Mike, if we are sharing any numbers on the adoption, but ultimately we expect 100% of users to be using layered clothing. 
Yeah, so I'll give you a couple of quick numbers and just some trends. I think that's the most important thing, but it's a good question. So as of June 30, we had over 100 million users that had actually acquired a layered clothing item. And we've been doing tests to look at the economic output of those users and how they behave. And we've clearly seen it being accretive to bookings and robust spend. So we'll give more data as that becomes a bigger and bigger part of the business. But so far, the early indications are high levels of adoption and um, high performance uh, within the user base that, that, that does acquire the items. Okay, thank you. And then along the same uh, kind of topic, uh, you released dynamic heads uh, towards the end of, of June. Um, and I was wondering, and you also said, I believe, in the release that um, dynamic heads would be available in the avatar store um, at some point in the fourth quarter. Uh, which is new information. Um, can you give us a little bit of, a, of an idea of what the plan for monetization of dynamic heads is? Like, will the, will the heads developed by a curated community of creators uh, sort of be on sale there? Um, you know, will users, you know, buy heads with a subset of emotions uh, that are animated on their faces? Um, I guess exactly what, what exactly will uh, will the buyers on Roblox be buying? Yeah, let's um, let's take a big um, visionary step here. And we acquired a company called Loom Loomy uh, over a year ago. And you can you can check out the types of demos and the technology they create. But but it ultimately drives towards the vision that for those users who so choose on our platform, in addition to having their avatars be more personalized and more animated like themselves the opportunity to actually have the heads and faces of those avatars animate in sync with um, optionally the use of the camera on your device or lip syncing. Uh, we shared demos of this. I've done meetings this way. It's absolutely immersive and engaging in the future of where this is all going. Dynamic heads are one part of this, and the rollout will occur in various steps. One is developer tooling. The next step is very simple things like emojis and um, really emotes, actually, and, and the ability to have a pre-canned animation on your head, and ultimately full tracking of that. We always think long-term, first and foremost, about engagement, retention, um, and really frequency, and, and making our experiences better. Because our bookings tend to scale with bookings per hour, we, we expect the more engagement we get, the better this is going to really be. On top, so, so I think we're not as much, well, there is huge opportunity for dynamic heads in our marketplace. And at the same time, I want to highlight that we're primarily thinking about this long term as increasing engagement. Um, but it's going to be overall positive in both dimensions, and then, I don't know, Mike, if you want to share anything on top of that. Uh, no, I think we're, we'll, we'll report more as we have more data and, and um, maybe maybe touch on this investor day next month. Got it. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot. We'll move next to Bernie McTernan at Needham & Company. Please go ahead. Great. Um, thanks for taking the questions. 
Maybe just to start, if you could talk about the, the product improvements to search and discovery um, spoke about on the last call, and I think it helped with some of the age up content this quarter. So if you could just detail when, it, when the improvements happened during the quarter and if there's still more improvements to come, just looking for um, the full quarter benefits yeah, in the third quarter. I want to highlight that um, one of our vision, you know, values is take the long view, but one of our values is get stuff done. These improvements are happening every day. They are, they are not forklift drops. They are a constant weekly improvement in the way we do search and discovery. There, there is so much opportunity here because as people come to our platform from different regions, from different ages, from different interests, there's an amazing opportunity to personalize the types of experiences they see when they both first join our platform as well as when they become mature users. And we have a lot of signals that you might not find on a traditional platform, including what um, are your friends doing, what do people like you do, what have you done in the past. So this is, this is constantly improving. We are more and more getting personalized. We are ultimately trying to share experiences with everyone on the platform that will um, keep them engaged as much as possible and ultimately drive long-term enterprise value. And this is occurring both in cold start as well as in warm start for more mature players on the platform. So, so to, to go full circle on your answer every day, um, I will add that one of the things we have done in the last quarter, we shared that we were going to do it is more and more moved to the efficient frontier where we have historically been 100% engagement-based on our discovery and search. We believe there is an efficient frontier where engagement is balanced with monetization that drives the overall health of our platform. And really, when, when we have two experiences that are both retaining well, that are both um, predictive of the same playtime, we are nudging towards that experience that monetizes better in that type of situation, which is what the efficient frontier is about. Understood. Thank you. <clears throat> and then just as a follow-up, um, in the past you've spoken about the weekend versus weekday usage, and that gave you confidence in to be able to grow um, following the, the tough COVID comps. Can you just talk about what you're seeing uh, for weekday versus weekend usage now that now that you're at peak engagement again? I, I want to just highlight that our long-term growth has so much opportunity. It's not predicated on weekdays or weekends. Even in our most um, healthy long-term cohorts, which, which would be U.S., Canada, 9 through 12, there's a lot of headroom there uh, given that uh, traditional Roblox users aren't using Roblox every day as a communication tool. So there's a lot of room on frequency within our traditional audience. As you can see, the growth rates in our 13 and up and 17 through 24 cohorts, that cohort of 17 to 100 is much larger than the cohort of 9 through 12. And so there is also amazing headroom uh, amongst older players on our platform to complement the headroom we have in our traditionally strong cohorts based on frequency. Yeah, um, just adding to that, we, um, you know, when, when, when COVID started, our core age demos spiked up um, very quickly, and especially in terms of engagement. 
And then as we started to lap and reopen, obviously, especially in the U.S., that 9 to 12 cohort was actually um, uh, pulling, our, pulling our bookings growth numbers down, <clears throat> but we were making up for it in other places. Um, we've now gotten to the point where we're, we've crested back to the, point, to the point where on an absolute level, those cohorts are now growing around the world. Um, and, and it's importantly in the U.S. and Canada because that's where, um, you know, there's a more significant amount of, of, uh, of wealth and, and spend. So we are now at peak levels of daily active users, of engagement, and of bookings in those 9 to 12-year-old cohorts um, in the U.S. and benefiting from growth in, in 17 to 24, 13 to 16, and, and, and all the older user bases. So we're in, a, we're in a great position where finally now on an absolute basis, not, we, we're now at the point where all of that growth that we, we benefited from during COVID, we've, we've absorbed. Um, we've obviously retained the vast majority of it, and we're now growing on top of that really across all age demographics. So that's true on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays and Saturdays as well. So, um, yeah, I think we're, we're hopefully, if um, we all stay healthy and, uh, and uh, go on living our lives, we'll, we'll be more or less done with COVID comparisons here pretty, pretty soon. Great. Thank you both. Thanks. We'll move next to Eric Sheridan at Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Thanks so much for taking the question. Um, maybe talk a little bit about what you're building on the advertising side as another means of monetization, um, and how should we be thinking about a mixture of both investments on the advertising side, building relationships with advertisers, and what you see as some of the revenue output of that as we look out over the next couple of years. Thanks so much. Yeah, I, I want to highlight the opportunity on our platform, both for traditional experience developers who are new developers um, creating new games and experiences on our platform, as well as brands who are establishing presence for people to interact with clothing, people to interact with music, people to interact with beauty, people to interact with a wide range of things, and potentially even monetize within those experiences. So traditionally, um, a lot of these experienced developers and brands have been saying, how do I boost more? How do I get more traffic to my experience? How do I do a test? Um, how do I reliably bring a million users a day to this experience? And this is the, the wonderful opportunity for native, immersive, non-obtrusive uh, advertising in our platform. Imagine we are at one of our most popular uh, Roblox experiences. Imagine a AAA partner has a small pop-up in the town square, and players will be able to choose whether to stop by, use that pop-up um, or portal or door, you name it, to jump over to one of our brand experiences, experience something new, pick up some free merch, and then back, you know, pop back to the experience they're playing. So this is a you know this is a very scalable potential way to incorporate gently uh, both paid as well as performance and brand advertising. Given that we did 4.7 billion hours of engagement in the month of July, even at very conservative you know gentle ways of initially trying this with top-notch brands. 
uh, you can see the potential there relative to the advertising per hour. So uh, I, I said it before, this has been always a visionary um, type of advertising. It's exciting because it, it doesn't get in the way of a user or add friction like some other types of advertising. And it, it, we believe it will actually be a, a fun and positive way that will complement our experiences. And, and Eric, you're, the end of that was your question on are we scaling up a team internally to be you know, covering the brands? Is that, is that the last part of your question? Yeah, I think I, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll say two things and then Mike maybe finish. We are building traditionally what has powered Roblox is the notion that at its foundation we build self-service. And self-service is always more difficult to build than bespoke things. Our Roblox's success is we are a self-service platform for experienced creators. The product direction for this advertising system will also be self-service, but it will, it will be complemented by our, our amazing brand team. We have, we have a great team, it's scaling, uh, we have amazing people who are working with the Gucci's and the Tommy Hilfinger's to achieve this new form of advertising to the platform. And we, we expect to continue building this amazing brand team. It will not be a sales team. It will be a consultative team to help people who are doing self-service and exploring our platform. Yeah. I, I, I just add, it, it, this is a team that's been in place for a while. These discussions with brands have been going on for quite a while. And we, we really do see it above and beyond just an ad sales organization. It's very strategic. Um, and we've been talking with brands about the overall benefit of immersive engagement um, on our platform in, in multiple ways. And you've heard us talk about this before. Um, we have had incredibly high quality brands more or less experimenting on our platform in a new medium, which is really exciting. We've not raced to monetize these too quickly. I think we've learned a ton and the team's done a great job and the quality of the brand that we've been working with has just been, you know, first class. We'll move next to Matthew Thornton with Truist Securities. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, David and Mike. This is Steve Barkley Wong from Matt Thornton. Um, two questions, if I could. Can you talk about how we should think about the incremental monetization efforts playing an, an impact in the second half of 2022, examples being sponsored search, immersive ads, uh, and commerce? Also, how should we think about what normal seasonality is for August and September, and any growth compare issues you would call out for the second half of 2022? Thank you. Hey, Steve. Let me, let me take the last questions and work in reverse. So, um, we noted in the letter that there was, you know, Omicron happened in Q4 of last year. So we're just we're just making sure that everybody is aware and doing their own homework um, uh, as we go into the fourth quarter. Obviously, we've got a lot of momentum uh, from May to June and June to July. We expect that to continue. The normal shape of the curve um, in terms of the third quarter um, is what you saw last year, which is that from July to August, um, Typically, August is, you know, flat to slightly down 2%, let's say, uh, off of July. That's sort of the normal seasonality. And that's really because, uh, of course, people start to go back to school 
And so um, later, as the month goes on, you start to see the absolute numbers going down. It doesn't mean the growth rates will go down. It just means the absolute numbers will go down. Um, and so it ends up being, you know, somewhere around, you know, 1% to 2%. September is full-blown back to school, and on a sequential basis, typically, and last year as an example, we were down 15% September um, from, uh, from August. But that's totally normal, normal seasonality, completely expected. So you can, I think the shape of the curve this year will be very, very similar. Um, Q4 of last year, uh, we, had a, we had an unusual October, so I just want to make sure everyone goes back and, and does their homework. We had an outage, so you've got to look at the numbers. We, we reported a lot of information on October last year. Um, November, things start to pick back up around Thanksgiving, and then December is obviously a, a, a huge month with the holidays, and I suspect that we're going to see the exact same trends this year because generally those have been the seasonal trends that we've seen over the years. Yeah, I just want, I want to highlight um, we'll be testing our immersive advertising system sometime this year, we believe. Right now, we don't expect that to contribute to our booking. We do, um, I do want to highlight the things I have mentioned that are iterative improvements that we're constantly making, including translate quality, search and discovery quality, efficient frontier. Those types of things may have small incremental improvements, but that's something we're doing all the time. We'll move next to Brandon Rose with Lightship Partners. Please go ahead. Thanks, Brandon Ross. Um, I, just looking at your DevX fees, um, I think this is the first quarter that they actually went down as a percentage of bookings um, as far back as we have a window into. Can you um, talk about what you expect the cadence of DevX to be over time and how much pressure you feel as perhaps Epic rolls out the next version of Fortnite Creative and has, you know, potentially more significant creators, but how much pressure you feel to match or move towards those splits. And I have a follow-up. Um, so our uh, DevX numbers as a percentage of bookings have been pretty consistently growing over time as we suggested literally years. We wanted to share more and more of the economics with developers. So I'm looking at the supplemental materials that we posted on our site. And if you look at that over the last um, three years, uh, as a percentage of bookings, those numbers have gone from about 15% to 23% uh, in Q1 and 22% last quarter. Honestly, I wouldn't read much into a 100 basis point movement in a 90-day period. I mean, there's mostly DevX as a variable cost. It's driven with bookings. So it goes up as bookings grows um, on an absolute dollar basis. It could come down a little bit as bookings comes down. But generally, we've leaned in pretty heavily to this. Um, the sheer growth in our developer community is phenomenal. The sheer amount of creativity, new content is absolutely phenomenal. The, the economics for our developers uh, is clearly getting better and better when we look at the, um, the amount of, of, of currency earned by the 1,000th developer on the platform. Those numbers are growing, you know, in, incredibly uh, robustly. 
And so we, we just see a bigger and bigger community making a full-time living on the Roblox platform, and we're incredibly excited about that. We have a unique value proposition with our developers. Um, it, 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 it is not, we talked about this a lot, it's not about absolute take rates, it's about the level of the service and the quality of that service. And, um, and we just continue to build great relationships with our community and, and, and we'll continue to push more and more uh, towards them over time. We, we have, I think a few quarters ago, said that we would you know, be pushing towards 25% and we're obviously in that zip code right now. Yeah, four years ago at the Roblox Developer Conference, I made a wild conjecture that we'd see a developer studio with more than 100 people, and it actually has come through much sooner than we thought it would happen, and we're going to continue to see both these larger studios go well beyond 100 people in the studio, which highlights the economic support they're getting from creating on our platform, as well as more developers down around 1,000 or even 10,000 who are starting to make money and, you know, filling up that super long tail of talent that's starting to build on our platform. Great. And then in your letter when you mentioned the highest, in, the most engaged and um, most profitable um, uh, cohorts that you have, they were, I noticed they were both male cohorts, and it got me to wondering what the overall split is between male and female on the platform, and what it would take, what you need to do to bring um, females up to parity with, with male engagement. Yeah. Yeah, I want to highlight um, long-term, I, I don't know the exact ratio at the top of my head right now, I don't think we've ever shared it, but over the years, Roblox has more and more converged to exactly 50-50 on the platform. And the reason is these types of platforms support everything from traditional gameplay to very social gameplay to, you, you know, things spanning from sports to fashion to beauty to vehicles, you name it. So we're pretty optimistic that long-term the direction continues to be towards 50-50 with a wide range of types of activity on a platform like Roblox. And, and, and I think that shows in our internal numbers. Yeah, we um, – Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thanks. We'll move on to the next question from Eric Handler with NKM Partners. Please go ahead. Yes, good morning and thanks for the question. Um, two questions. Wonder if we could start with, your, it seems like there's a lot of announcements in the last month or so of new brands getting involved in Roblox and the metaverse. And I'm curious, are there enough developers out there to support all these inquiries from the various brands. Yeah, what, what I believe we're seeing right now, and we saw this with print a long time ago, we saw this with video more recently, and, and we're going to see this with immersive 3D going forward, is there's a, a traditional structure of service bureaus, of developers, creators who help either with graphics, video, or 3D production. Our talent hub is serving a purpose of bringing these brands together with our creators. We have an active market for people to connect here. And many of the brands that are starting to show up on our platform um, are doing it unannounced, which means they're doing it in a self-service way. 
they are finding developers out there either on their own or through our talent hub uh, to help them or they're developing that expertise in-house. We think this, is, this highlights the future where um, our traditional developers have been 100% experienced developers for play or for social, but there's an emerging class of developers who are brand support developers who will complement those traditional experience developers. Yeah, Eric, I think these are, these are just a classic behavior of a market. In, in a sense, it's a great question. And right now, we would hope almost that there's more demand than there is supply, because that will be a signal to the community that this is a business that they can expand into. Um, I was talking to a venture capitalist the other day who has now invested in a Roblox studio, which, again, is a dynamic that we see as very healthy. Part of what they said was there's a really interesting balance between their investments and the experiences that they've built and in support of brands. And, and that's the dynamic that we want to see. And as that demand comes from brands, that will spur on, on more developers. So um, if we are potentially capacity constrained on developers right now, that's just the market dynamic that will obviously clear itself up over time. And um, that's a really good signal. Yeah, and, and we can see some of these larger studios hiring new college grads with computer science degrees, bringing them on board and training them in their corporate best practices for using the Roblox platform. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see agencies also take the role. Well, I was going to do my next question. I mean, have you had any discussion with the, the big ad agencies about maybe even setting up some type of metaverse develop, development studio? Um, you know, we'll, we'll have to, I'll have to defer to, uh, to, to Craig Donato. Maybe we'll, we'll address that on Investor Day. Um, it, it, it wouldn't surprise, well, I know there have been inbound conversations with agencies, whether that specifically is where we've gone. Uh, probably not, but, but, but uh, why, don't we, why don't we defer that for next month and we'll dig into that. Thank you very much. Thanks. And we have no further questions in the phone queue. I'll turn the call over to Hans Grinalen for web questions. I think we have time for one more uh, question from the web. Uh, Dave, this is a question from, for you from Taharka Patterson uh, from So Far So Good Incorporated. Are there any plans to collaborate with educators and local departments of education to integrate actual grade-appropriate supplemental education tools that mirror academic focus and lesson plans throughout the school year? Hey, great question. Thank you. The, the vision for platforms like Roblox goes beyond coding and computer science, and it gets into simulation and ultimately allowing people to be together um, in real life. I'll, I'll highlight one example of a partnership that is so appropriate for Roblox, and, and it will help so many students around the world. And that is our partnership with FIRST Robotics. So FIRST um, Robotics has traditionally been an activity that involves creation of Roblox, testing them, competitions, and it requires hardware. It requires kits for building Roblox. What we are doing with FIRST Robotics is partnering and they're creating a simulation that mimics Roblox or robot construction and testing and competition virtually on Roblox rather than in the real world. So this is a, a great example of an educational opportunity 
for many students around the world who may not have had access or opportunity to participate in a first robotics activity that can now do it on a platform like Roblox. So we're, we're really optimistic about the range of educational opportunity. Um, well, that's a wrap for us. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, and that does conclude today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now